You are listening to a message that was given at Living Word Chapel, Oracle, Arizona. It is our hope and prayer that God will use this message to speak to you and enrich your life. For more information, visit lwcoracle.org. Final week in our series that we are better together. So let me quickly recap what we've learned over the last few weeks. Pastor James began this series by telling us about a dispute that broke out in the early church over the care of the Greek widows. You see, the Greek speaking uh, believers, they saw that the Hebrew speaking widows were being cared for ahead of their Greek speaking widows. And they were concerned, so they went, and we, we learned that with growth in the church, there's opportunity for service. And then we learned how we come into the church with our own uniqueness, our differences, and God uses that diversity to make us better for our good. And last week we learned that when we live in unity, that we're better together as we do so. And so this week, I want to conclude with a message that I've titled, We're Better Together When We Live in Genuine Community. And I'm going to be using uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 4 as our text, and I'll share three points. The danger of living for self, the value of relationships, and how it's God's design for us to live in community. But before we jump into this study, let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, today I'm asking that you would teach us by your Holy Spirit. May your word be spoken with clarity and may our hearts be receptive to your instruction in order that we would be built up, encouraged, and strengthened in our Christian walk. It's in the name of Christ Jesus that I pray. Amen. Amen. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. And I'll be using the English Standard Version. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn there or you can look at the monitors and read along with me. It says, Again I saw vanity under the sun, one person who has no other, either son or brother, Yet there is no end to his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can they keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Our first point is, we are better together when we realize the danger of living for self. Now, the book of Ecclesiastes is a compilation of observations made by King Solomon as he contemplated what is the meaning and the purpose of life. At first glance, really, it's 
kind of a depressing book, really. And it begins with this exclamation that everything is meaningless, completely meaningless. Well, doesn't that just make you want to pick up the book and read it? <laughs> and as he continues his assessment in our passage, the he tells a story about a man who society would probably label as a driven individual. He's that type of person that every employer would love to have working for them. On the outside, it looks like he has it all together. He's wealthy. Maybe he dresses in the finest suits. He sports the latest gizmos and gadgets. And he drives the, the finest automobiles. But inside... And underneath the surface there, as the writer points out, it's a different story and things aren't quite what they seem. And so as we peel back that facade, we begin to notice that this man is a broken and lonely individual. And there's no pain like the pain of loneliness, of being isolated. And we've all felt it. And I find it ironic how in this modern society, with all the technological advances that we have, with the popularity of social networking, how we're as isolated today as in any point in history. That technology that should have shrunk the world and brought us together really has had kind of the opposite effect. Many people live a life surrounded with acquaintances, they have these loose virtual connections in cyberspace, but yet they remain void of any true, live, giving relationships. And nobody likes to admit loneliness. There's the stigma that loneliness is for losers. But the reality is that many people struggle with this inner, gnawing pain regardless of how many Facebook friends or followers they might have. We're all familiar with Albert Einstein, the great mathematician. He died in 1955, and he's best known for his theory of relativity. Maybe you don't know his name, but you certainly remember his formula. E equals MC squared. I have no idea what it means. It's become a brand and has taken on a life of its own. But if you say it, you just appear a little bit more intellectual. You know, if you can just slip it into conversation somewhere. Well, you know what uh, Albert Einstein said about that. Well, let's see what Albert Einstein said about loneliness. He said, it's strange to be so known universally and yet to be so lonely. Even in a crowded room, surrounded by many people, it's possible to feel isolated and to feel alone. And loneliness is no respecter of persons. It can be found in the highest society where the most famous and influential, or it can be found with the poorest of poor. Mother Teresa, who ministered in the poorest slums in Calcutta from 1946 until 1997 when she died. She said this about loneliness. She said, loneliness is the leprosy of the modern world. Think about it. That's harsh. Leprosy is that scourge 
disease that isolates family from family members and uh, friends from you and all of society. You're shunned and people push back away from you because they don't want to have anything to do with that so that they don't catch that disease. And she relates that to loneliness. So in the opening verse of our text, we see a man who has no other, either son or brother. And he's buried in his work to the extent that the writer writes, there is no end to all of his toil. Perhaps he's like the man that wanted to find a a pastime just to, to be able to relax. And so maybe he's walking through Walmart and he buys a fish hook. Only to realize that after buying a fish hook, he needs a rod and a reel to get this hook into the water. And because he wanted to relax and unwind and and he he thought this was a, a vital thing that he needed to do, he spared no expense. And so he bought the best rod and reel that he could find. And then he did a search online. And he found that the the biggest fish are in the deepest part of the lake, and that's going to require a boat. And because he thought, well, I got this new pastime, I'm going to be relaxing, I think I'll relax with some friends. So he went out, and again, he spared no expense. And he went online, and he searched, and he went uh, maybe to, what's that, Bass Pro Shop in Phoenix. And he found him a 14-foot pontoon fishing boat. I mean, this thing's tricked out. It has the stereo system in it, the little awning that comes over the top. It's a party barge. Only to realize after buying a boat, now he needs a truck. Because in order to get this boat to the lake so that he can put his hook into the water, he's got to have a truck. And so he wanted to get this be able to go fishing at any time with any weather and any driving condition, this truck had to be a four-wheel drive. And the story goes on and on and on. So we see that Solomon says, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches. You see, a covetous man is never content with what he has. And he finds himself in this endless toil, this struggle, this endless cycle that's fueled by the greed of selfishness. Nothing in this world can bring you lasting satisfaction. Only God can satisfy. Ruth and I were watching the New Year's celebration on TV TV one year. And the ball had just dropped in Times Square. And... You know, people were hugging and kissing, and the confetti was flying around. And unexpectedly, the camera panned, and there was Jim Carrey just walking through the crowd. At this time, he was at the height of his career. I think he had two movies out that year. And so the announcer tried to get this improvisational interview with him. And so he hollers out, hey, Jim Carrey, do you have anything you want to say? And Ruth and I just sat there on the couch with our jaws wide open at his response. He looked right into the camera, and he said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything that they ever dreamed to do 
so that they can find out that that is not the answer. Solomon concluded that all this man's effort was vanity, an unhappy business. It's that endless struggle that produces nothing of lasting value. It serves no eternal purpose. It's like a chasing after the wind, and it is meaningless. So, how do we apply what we've learned in this first point? Well, first, I think we need to just step back periodically, and we need to observe objectively and prioritize those things that are fighting for our time and affection. We need to focus our attention on and energy on the things that really matter in life. We need to begin to cultivate relationships. And that brings us to point number two. We are better together when we value relationships. Genesis 2.18 says, it's not good that the man should be alone. See, God is a God of relationships. And he's created us for relationship. First of all, with himself. And secondly, with one another. And life is full of relationships. And it's when we begin to appreciate and value those relationships that we begin to walk in unity and harmony with one another. That's not only going to make us a better people, but that will make us a better church. Now, as we look at our second portion of this text, beginning in verse 9, we notice that there are four benefits to living in relationships. And the first benefit is we will have a larger profit or a good reward. Verse 9 reads, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. But I love how the New Living Translation puts it. It says, two people are better off than one because they can help each other succeed. The reward is greater when more people work together for a common goal. Let's take an example of the ants. In Proverbs chapter 30, it says, ants, they aren't strong but they store up their food all summer. Now, every summer, we have this invasion of ants that takes over our kitchen. And it's usually around the monsoon time, early in the morning, though I wake up, my hair is going everywhere like Albert Einstein's, and I come into the kitchen and there's ants everywhere. Now, I haven't seen them carry off an entire sandwich like our illustration would suggest, but I have seen how they work together in community, in harmony for a common goal as they carry away a fallen potato chip. And I don't know if it's sleep deprivation or maybe just the lack that I haven't had my morning coffee, but it's almost as if I can see and hear this lead ant stand up on a breadcrumb and call out to the others in his most commanding ant-like voice. Okay, guys. On the count of three, we're going to lift and slide. We're going to lift and slide. Okay, are you ready? 
One, two, three, left! It's fine! <laughs> you see, when we work together, there, we can experience greater results than when we work alone. And our tasks can be completed much quicker when more hands are involved. If we work at a task alone over a period of time, we run the risk of facing a burnout. But our tasks and our burdens are so much lighter when we have our brothers and sisters coming alongside, working for a common goal. The second benefit to living in relationship is that we'll find help in time of need. Verse 10 says, For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. In our culture, we're raised with a certain independence. And that's not always necessarily a bad thing. You know, we should take care of ourselves. However, in life, there are times when we really need the help of one another. God has designed it that way. He's given us various gifts within the church to help build up one another. There's times when you might need a word of wisdom or a word of encouragement or just prayer. You may be going through a burden or a, a trial or a, something that is too difficult to bear alone. That's when you should welcome your church family to come alongside, to help you along. Too often, we let our pride stand in the way and prevent us from asking. We tend to think that maybe it's a sign of weakness or failure if we have to ask for help. How many remember the, the TV series, The Lone Ranger? You guys are afraid to lift your hands because you're going to date yourself, aren't you? Yeah, I know you guys. But often we mosey through life like this lone ranger, thinking that it's just up to me to grow spiritually. But you know, I watched the series, and I saw that there were times when the lone ranger would get himself into a situation, and he needed his sidekick Tonto to come along and rescue him. So don't be afraid to Ask your brothers and sisters to help you out whenever you have a need. Let's look at the third benefit to living in relationships. We will have more comfort. In verse 11 it says, Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? PBS aired this special about the emperor penguins. And they have to huddle up in order to survive the harsh conditions of Antarctica. You see, it can get down to minus 58 degrees. And the winds can rise to 120 miles an hour. Sounds kind of like Michigan right now. <laughs> but for their survival, it's, it's really phenomenal. They huddle up and they keep their young down here and they the young will put their feet right on the, the feet of their parents and they kind of cover them with this flap of, of fat. <laughs> and they begin to walk 
in formation. And at first, it looks like there's really no organization to it, but as they do, pretty soon others come joining in till there's thousands of penguins out in the middle of this, this point, all alone, isolated, just huddled together, and each one finds its place and it, it plugs in so that the, those on the inside of this huddle are the warmest and they have their children protected from the elements of the outside. And those out on the outside brunt the harshness of the cold and the wind, but they keep moving. And pretty soon, those on the inside now move to the outside. And they just keep moving so that no one is left out in the dark and in the cold. Well, this speaks to me of the importance of closeness. Warmth in a relationship is not just a measurement of degrees. It's the closeness, the love, the trust and the comfort that we can offer to one another. Loneliness, as I've pointed out, is empty and it's cold. But there's a warmth that is priceless when we value relationships. So let's take a message from the penguins. Life is tough. Huddle up. Now our fourth benefit to living in relationship is that we have more protection. You see, we're in a battle. We have a real enemy. And he wants to steal, kill, and destroy. It's his intent that we would live a defeated life. And he comes in and he wants to penetrate and separate. He wants to isolate us. Because he knows that if he can get you alone, that you'll be more vulnerable to his attack. But there's great comfort in knowing that as we join back to back with our brothers and sisters that we can have a greater advantage in winning the spiritual battle. But sometimes we isolate ourselves. And this happens for various reasons. Maybe hurts, disappointments, pride. Maybe it's unforgiveness or sin. Or maybe it's just a disagreement. Is it a blue dress? with black stripes <laughs> or a white dress with gold stripes? I, I don't know. I've been trying to figure it out all week. But we let disagreements sometimes pull a church apart. You know, I've seen churches split over the color of carpet or the trim on the outside. But there's power and protection when we can stand back to back with our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a great feeling to know that your brother has your back. We have a choice between living in this worldly system or God's design. And now that we've explored the benefits of relationships as pointed out in this passage, we have a decision to make. Do we continue to live according to this worldly system, you know, with that me-first mentality that would say, I want my needs met, even if it's at the expense of others. That system that is critical of others, when they don't measure up to that standard that we have set of appearance, performance, and status. Or do we choose to live according to God's design, 
the way that he wants us to live originally in relationship with God and in relationships with one another. Let's look at how to apply point number two. The first thing that we need to do is humbly accept that God has designed us to live in relationship. And that's first with God and then with others. We learn that there's great benefits when we live within relationships. We can experience a greater reward, help, comfort, and protection. Remember, we got each other's back. And we have a choice. We're not robots. You know, God didn't make us a cookie-cutter church as Pastor James put out where there's a Christian, there's a Christian, there's a Christian. Oop, that one doesn't fit. No. We have a choice, and we need to choose in the way that God has designed for us to live out our relationships, loving Him and loving others. Point number three. We are better together when we choose to live in genuine community. So what is community? Merriam-Webster's Dictionary identifies it as a group of people living in the same area that share the same interest. But I would take it just a little bit further and say that it's a group of diverse individuals who are unified or it's a group of diverse individuals living in a particular area who have common interests, common beliefs, and a history. And I believe that the key word there is common, as it's found in the book of Acts. You see, we all come into the church and we still have our uniqueness, our diversity. However, we're united by the fact that we all have the same history and we all share the same future, the same hope. We were lost, but now we're found. And God's kindness, His um, love and grace has drawn us to repentance. And the blood of Christ has cleansed us from our sin. We are no longer slaves to sin, but we are saints. We're children of God and joint heirs with Christ Jesus. We are united by God's grace and by His love. And the church is to be that place of relational oneness, meaning that we don't separate our vertical relationship with God from our horizontal relationship with others. There's this relational oneness. And the church is to be that place. In Acts chapter 2, we get to see a glimpse of what life was like in the early church. I'm going to read from verse 42. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and their belongings and distributing the proceeds to all 
any who had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the favor of all men. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. You know, when we read passages like this, the tendency is to try to package up what they experienced into some nice, neat little box and make it a formula for success. And as much as I yearn to experience the things that they did, I don't believe that these events can be reproduced through a formula. What stands out to me in this passage is their genuine love and devotion to God and that they had a genuine love for one another. There was no selfishness to be seen among them, and that's demonstrated by their willingness to sell their possessions, all their belongings, and distribute the proceeds to any that had need. Let's look at what Dallas Willard has to say. He's the author of the book Divine Controversy. What he wrote is, God's aim in human history is, in the, is the creation of an inclusive community of loving persons with himself included as its primary sustainer and most glorious inhabitant. God wants to dwell in this community of loving persons. There's no separation there. So we're talking about community. And I know I need community. Relationships. And I long for them. And it's not some extrovert or introvert kind of thing. God has designed for all of us to be a part of a community. Because he knows the danger when we try to walk alone. That loneliness, that emptiness that we can experience. But let's be honest. Relationships can be pretty messy. There's hurts. There's just all the, the emotions are out there because relationships require us to be vulnerable. It takes humility. But sometimes, don't we want to just kind of hold on to our selfishness? We have our selfish agendas and we want to be in control. It's hard to give that up and come alongside someone else and put their needs ahead of your needs. The truth is God never designed you or me to walk through life alone. He's placed us in communities, in families. We're not some Lone Ranger Christian that has to think that it's up to me alone in order to grow spiritually. God desires us to be in community, and he wants to establish and empower our relationships as he originally intended them so that we would love God and love one another. When asked which is the greatest commandment in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. That's the greatest commandment. 
And there's a second that's equally as important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. But our tendency is to try to compartmentalize and keep these relationships separate. But they must work together as one. A vertical relationship with your relationship with God and a horizontal relationship, your relationship with others. Throughout Scripture, there's a sweeping movement of God to restore a relational connection back with humanity and Himself. And He's also working to establish a community of people who are to model, and not just model, but to actually live out what it means to be in this relationship with God and with man. Jesus, in his brilliance as creator God and revealer of God, he showed us what this relational oneness is supposed to look like. And then he established the church. And the church is to be that place of relational oneness. That's his intent. Jesus, in his prayer for the church in John 17, said, May they experience such unity that the world will know that you have sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. We are to be people who live under this agape or this perfect love of God. We're to be filled with it and embraced with it and then allow that love to flow out into the relationships with others around us. Partnering in God's redemptive work in the world within those he loves. Hebrews chapter 10 says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to good works, not neglecting meeting together as is the, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. See, we live in a community not out of perfection, but it's out of the grace of God that we have received. The church is made up of people. They're wounded, broken people. But these same people are also saved, forgiven, and growing people. And it's as we stay connected with God's love and live in His grace, that's when these relationships are going to become what God wants them to be. And it's going to be that model that the world's going to see and know that we are disciples of Christ because of that love. I like what C.S. Lewis has to say about all of this. He says, Christ works on all of us in all sorts of ways, but above all, he works on us through each other. And Neil Anderson, in his book, Victory Over the Darkness, says anybody can find character defects and performance flaws of another Christian, but it takes the grace of God to look beyond an impulsive Peter and see the rock of the Jerusalem church. It takes the grace of God to see beyond Saul the persecutor and see in him Paul the apostle. So as you live day by day with people who are sometimes less than saintly in their behavior, and they see you as the same way, grace and peace 
be multiplied to you. The health of your relationship with God is determined by the health and the maturity of your relationships with the people that God has placed in your life. Matthew chapter 5, we read that if you are at the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go and first be reconciled with your brother and then come and offer your gift. Jesus showed up in a culture that tried to divide. Almost as if there was this division between the way that I treat God is over here in this vertical relationship and the way that I treat other people is over here in this horizontal relationship. In fact, the religious leaders at the time and still today, thought that the more spiritual and the more religious I get, that the greater the distance I'll keep myself from people. And when Jesus showed up and began to model the complete opposite, it wrecked their world. As my daughter would say, mind blown. <laughs> what do you mean he eats with tax collectors and sinners? But that was the religious system at that day in fact the religious leaders would often play this game where they would go through their house and they would say this belongs to God or I dedicate this to God this belongs to God and they did that to kind of showcase their devotion to God but whenever a poor person or a person in need would approach them they would then say, I have given everything I have to God. I'm sorry. I can't help you. Do you remember what happened to Ananias and Sapphira? Just saying. 1 John 2, 9 says, Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness, and he walks in the darkness because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I believe what the Apostle John is saying is that we can't take these relationships and try to compartmentalize them and keep them separated. They are one, and our love for others flows out of our love for God. John chapter 13, Jesus says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So how will people know that we are disciples of Christ? Is it by the bumper stickers that we place on our car? Is it by how many scriptures we can quote? or whether we attend church regularly. No. It's by how we love and treat one another. Do you want to know how you're doing with God? Take a look at how you're doing with the people around you. You can't have it going on with God 
if you don't have it going on with others. We are better together, and God has placed people in our lives, and he wants us to have relationship and community with them. Growth happens at that intersection between our vertical and our horizontal relationships where we live under God's grace and extend that grace to one another in our relationships. Where we live under God's comfort and we allow that to bleed over into our friendships. Where we live under God's forgiveness and we let that bleed over into how we interact with one another. It's only in relationships that true love can flourish. So, how do we apply this? Well, living in genuine community requires that we put aside our selfishness, that me-first mentality that comes with its selfish agendas, and it says, I prefer that your needs get met before mine. That's a genuine love. Living in genuine community requires that genuine love for one another. Not loving someone because you're trying to see what you can get out of it, but just loving them regardless of if you get anything at all. Living in gen genuine community requires that we live under God's grace. And that we extend that grace to others. Now, I always love to give an opportunity for individuals to place their trust in Jesus. And because I don't know your heart, but God does, I'm going to ask that everyone just bow your head and close your eyes. Maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking, Mike, you've been speaking to me today. I feel so isolated and I'm not really sure that I have that relationship with God that you've been talking about. But I know I want it. Let me assure you that God created us to be with Him. He loves us and He wants to have a relationship with us but our sin has separated us from him. And that sin could not be removed by doing good deeds. It required the blood of Jesus. And it's only by putting our trust in Jesus that we can be saved. In the Gospel of John, we read that God so loved the world. That's you and me. He loved us so much that he sent his son to come and to die for our sins. So that we would, if we would believe in Him, we would not perish but have eternal life. The Bible tells us that if we confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, we will be saved. So right there, right where you're sitting, with nobody looking around, are you ready to put your trust in Jesus? I'm going to lead you in a prayer, and I want you to know that it's not this prayer that saves you, but it's your faith in Jesus that you are saved. Let's pray together. You can repeat after me. God, I'm a sinner. 
who need your forgiveness. I'm tired of trying to live my life without you. I confess that Jesus is Lord and that he died on a cross for all my sins, past, present, and future. And I believe that God raised him from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures foretold. I receive your forgiveness and grace today. And I choose to follow Christ in the fellowship of his church. Amen. If you prayed this prayer this morning, and it's the first time that you've placed your faith in Jesus, would you signify by just raising a hand? This has been a message from Living Word Chapel. We hope that you've been blessed by it. Make sure you check out lwcoracle.org for more information.